Only Kathy will know that on the way home today. Um, so, but I did bring some of the classroom in, because I've been teaching Sunday school for a long time, if you don't know who I am, and uh, I'm, I need the classroom atmosphere, and I almost forgot something here. I'll bet there's something hidden under this corner that I need. Oh, yeah. Going to need that later. I didn't want to think about that later. Let's have a word of prayer before we get started here this morning. Lord, I just praise you for this morning. I praise you for these people that took time out of their Sunday morning to come and worship you this morning. I pray that truth only would be spoken from your word this morning. I'm reminded it's all about you today, what you've done, who you are, and that we would all stop and think about your word and how awesome you are. We walk away from here amazed at the plan you have for our lives as Christians. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, I'm going to start off this morning with talking about dams. You guys ever build dams when you were a kid? We used to do that. I grew up in the, in the woods, the edge of the woods and streams, and I spent all my time in the, in the outdoors. And we used to build dams. And dams come in all shapes, sizes, forms. This is a beautiful dam. And obviously the purpose of a dam is to hold back water, change the course of the water course. And there's one right there, just one typical dam. There's another one. They're beautiful. That one's made out of stone, holds back a stream. Lots of dams in Pennsylvania. A lot of those were used for, uh, for water power, to run mills. There's another little dam, small one there. Beautiful dam. Some of them have a purpose like this one. This is a hydroelectric dam. This is made to create electricity. We make dams for that. This one has a purpose of creating, creating electricity for communities. There's one. Anybody know where that one is? May have been to that one. That's Raystown Lake. That's the dam at Raystown. That one is to hold back water for flood control. There's a purpose of a dam for flood control. There's a small dam. Believe it or not, this little boy sitting in this picture, he's a criminal. You may not know this, but this boy was in trouble from his community, from his township, because he built a dam in a stream, which violated an ordinance. So that little man. There's, now, there's the granddaddy right there. Now, as somebody who, who loves to build, I'm in construction, and we do a lot of concrete work, and uh, you just got to look at that and say, Wow. I mean, that is, that, is, that is a feat right there. That dam, obviously, that's the Hoover Dam. If you've never been there, I've never seen that. It's a beautiful thing. Some dams happen naturally. This is just an ice dam right here in a stream that flooded uh, a little community, just dammed up naturally with logs and ice. Just a natural thing that happened. Some are made by varmints. Beavers made that one. Excellent dam. I watched them. If you're watching beaver work, they're unbelievable. And you can go out there, you can tear a hole in that dam, and they'll get right to work. And they know exactly how much debris to put in there to hold back the amount of water that they want. And they never even went to engineering school. But they know that. Some dams fail. This one failed. A lot of this happens in third world countries, especially where there's earthquakes and stuff. That dam obviously failed. It doesn't take an engineer to figure that one out. Some dams are just about ready to fail. This one here, you do not want to fish below this dam right here. That one is, uh, she's ready to blow right there. Some dams we end up tearing down, and that's happened more and more, especially in Pennsylvania as we tear down some of these dams. That one had to be tore down and get the environment back the way it was supposed to be. There's one being, that has nothing to do with dams. It's just one of my favorite pictures of my family. So I thought I'd throw that in there just for my amusement. And that's uh, Jeff in the background there. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, that had nothing to do with anything. But I thought I'd throw that one in there. But, you know, dams are a great thing. They're fun to make. But in our spiritual lives, they can, be, they can be absolutely devastating. And we're going to talk about that today. What am I talking about? Well, let's go to Galatians. If you haven't been there yet, go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to talk a little bit about what Paul has to tell us here in this great book of Galatians, this letter that he wrote to the church where the Galatian, Galatian church was. I want to start reading. I want to read right through here. I want to read from, from chapter 5. I want to read from verse 16. And I want to go right into chapter 6. Right down to verse 6, and I'm going to start. You can follow along as I read this, Galatians 5, 17. I want to back up to 16. Back to 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, 
dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its sinful passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instructions in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Well, we're going to learn about three truths this morning. We're probably not going to learn it, but we're going to talk about it. You probably already know this, but I'm convinced that we already know most everything we need to know as Christians. The problem is just how we carry it out. We're going to talk about three truths this morning about the Holy Spirit in our text. We're going to start off here, and it's chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. And that is, as believers in Christ, we have two natures living inside of us, two absolutely, absolutely different natures that now live in each one of us. And that's a constant struggle we have every day. And that fits in perfectly what we see here in verse 16 and 17. When Paul says uh, in verse 17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Fits in perfectly with what he said in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, he says this, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. Now, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. If you've been saved for very long and you know Christ the Savior, you know that this is true. There is a constant struggle as a believer in Christ that's common to each one of us. It's so easy for us to fall into that trap thinking that we're the only one that goes through this and we kind of sweep it under the rug and we, you know, nobody else probably struggles with what I struggle with so we don't want to talk about it in our little Bible studies and our groups. We kind of keep it to ourselves. But that's common to all men. And what we want to talk about this morning is these, these uh, fruits of the natural man that we want to talk about. Let's, let's look at them real quick here. He listed all these uh, acts of the sinful nature in verse 19. Let's look at these real quick. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, if we read over that list really quickly, we can kind of justify ourselves, really, in a way. Because there's probably 9, 10, 11 on there that you probably have never done openly, outwardly. And you're thinking, maybe, that not so bad, maybe. But let's just land on five of these that we want to talk about this morning. That is these five right here. Hatred, discord, that's a lack of harmony, an intentional lack of harmony. Jealousy, that's wanting what others have. Selfishness, envy, and that's begrudging others for what they have. Now, if we are totally honest with ourselves, there's not one of us in this room that hasn't committed these five in one way or another, inwardly or outwardly or both, and probably countless times both. And that leads me to a truth here in in our talk about Christianity 101. This is just basic Christianity. If we look in the mirror and we're true with ourselves and we're honest, we see that we have committed these five, we know that we have these acts of the sinful nature inside of us. And that leads me to a problem. And this is really basic. And if you are on the edges and you can't see this, then you should learn to fellowship in the middle. (laughs) The way God intended it to be. What we see here in in our study of where we're at in, in the world, and we're keeping it real here, that as we look at this sinful nature, we see that there is, this, there is this gap that exists between me and God. And so that you guys get a chance to see how smart my students are in my Sunday school class. I'm going to get some help here this morning. And Camille, as I promised I would do, can you tell me what is it that created this gap between me and God? It's real simple. 16-letter word, three syllables. (laughs) 
The sin that we've committed. Excellent. That's why my kids are so smart. That's the sin nature we just talked about. It's the sin inside of us that creates that gap. Now, here's the question we have this morning. Can I bridge that gap right there through human effort? No, I can't. Who else is here? Lena. Lena's here. Lena, what is it that bridges that gap between me as I exist now and God? Jesus, very good. You don't have to say it like it's a question. Jesus? Yes, excellent. You know that. It's grace. That's grace. That is the grace that God gave us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, if you know Christ as Savior, you came to that conclusion. That's the basic formula that you used to recognize that you needed Christ in your life. There was this gap that existed. You could not bridge this gap on your own, and you needed Jesus Christ to fill that void right there. That's what we get from the sinful nature right here. But now we're going to talk about the second part of that, and that is the fruits of the Spirit. So I want you to look at, down at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are not natural to us. These come supernaturally. These are the things that the Spirit works through us and produces. I've got to tell you, in my own life, gentleness, kindness, and patience are not me. If you knew me very well, you would know, and Beth works with me, so she knows more than anybody. Patience and kindness, are, I don't put that at the top of my to-do list each day. I just don't. I, I expect people to do their job, and when they can, it really gets me mad. And when people are incompetent, I don't want to think for everybody, and it starts to, you know, I get stressed out just thinking about it. When that's produced in my life, it doesn't come from me. It does not. So when I look at those fruits of the Spirit, boy, that's pretty rickety. It leads me to another problem. And once you come to know Christ as Savior, you realize that there's also this other gap that exists. And that is me as I currently am. And the me that I want to be, the me that God wanted me to be, the me that is Christ-likeness. And we'll say that's me squared. That's me to the second power. That's me where I wish I was, okay? The question this morning is, can I bridge this gap through human effort alone? No. The answer to that is no. But I see so many Christians trying to do that sometimes. It's easy to fall into that trap. People don't understand that, that we cannot bridge that gap either because we, not only are we saved by grace, but we also live by grace. And that's what we need to cover that gap that exists. So Paul's going to go on and give us some ways that we can do that. What happens is, in our lives, these fruits of the Spirit are, are ready to come out in us, but what we do is we create dams like we did when we were children, and we stop the flow of the Spirit in our lives. And Paul's going to go on and explain a couple of ways, a couple of things that happen in our lives, the way we do this, that we stop up the flow of the Spirit. And that's, that's the real question for us, is to how do we not let that happen in our lives? So there's three things Paul mentions that I observe here in Galatians 5 and 6. And the first one's going to be in 5.26. I'll back up to 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, one way is let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Pride is our greatest enemy. Pride is what will come in and interrupt us more quicker than anything else, in my opinion. God warns about pride more than any other sin in the Bible. I believe he hates it more than any other sin in the Bible. And that is when we get a problem. When we get a, an idea that somehow... I must be pretty good somehow. We, and we do that subtly too. It's not like, you know, we don't all have a little bit of pride in us. That somehow God works through me, uses me, because there's something about me that's maybe a little bit better than what really is. That's what we do. And that's what pride. We, we do it all kinds of ways. But look what he says down in 6.3. In 6.3 he says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself. Now, what he's saying there is he's saying, hey, 
You know, if any of you is nothing, no, he's saying every one of you on your own is nothing. So if you think you're something, you need to take a reality check back to the acts of the flesh, the sinful nature, and find out that you're really nothing. That's what we are. That's the starting point. Don't think you're something when you really are are nothing, because that's what we truly, truly are. That's what I am through these acts of the flesh that I see, that what I have, what I have to offer. That's the real us, that is, when we see what happens in the symphony. But we also deceive ourselves when we fall into the trap of comparison. There's one we're good at, too. And that we see that down in Galatians 6, 4. He says this. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. And there's one we do all the time, too. I know I go to work at work, and I have guys, and they, I, it's amazing to me. I'm the, uh, I'm the token religious guy, okay? And, and there'll be something in the newspaper, and they'll say, hey, hey, what do you think about that? They found, uh, they found a real caveman over there in uh, Libya somewhere, you know? They found this, what do you think of that? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit in with the Bible, and you, know, and you get into these arguments. But what, what gets me is how people are so uneducated about the Bible, it's easy for me to say, wow, I have, I have this much knowledge, and they have this much, and wow, man, I'm... we compare ourselves. We go, to work, we go to church, I guarantee you somebody this morning here had a neighbor who didn't go to church. It's easy to look at them over there, and they're out there you know, reading their newspaper and their cup of coffee, and you think, I'm going to church, and they're not. Okay, that's a poison we fall into. That's a pride that we develop. That somehow we compare ourselves, and then once we get inside the church, it doesn't end inside the church, because... We get in the church and we say, um, well, at least I'm doing more than, than he is, and I do a little bit better. My devotion life's better than him, and, and she doesn't do what I do, and I read more books than him. And there's this comparison that we do inside the church. That's pride also. And that stops the flow of the Spirit. Paul's saying, hey, these are things that are going to cut off that flow of the Spirit in your life when we let these things creep in. You know, And also... When I say this, we can also compare ourselves in the opposite direction. I can look at what another brother does and say, wow, he does all of this, and I don't do anything, and um, I just don't, I must not even try. That's, you know, we can do that too. Some of us have voices. I know I talked to Dave Allen about this before, years ago. Some of us have these voices in our head that tell us how great we are, and, and some of us have these voices in our head that say, you know, you really don't measure up you're really not that good. And that's the struggle I've always had my whole life because of the way, I know, we all have our upbringing and where we came from and the packages that we have and hidden in our closet, that we have these voices. We've got to watch that we don't compare either direction. Our measuring stick is always to be me against me. Where, where I was before, where I am now, where am I headed, is there growth, is there progress? That's the measuring stick that we're supposed to use. Never comparison. Never supposed to do that. You know, it's this pride that can keep me from evaluating my own spiritual reality the way it really is. And it also cuts off the flow of the Spirit. There's another thing Paul mentions. It's going to happen here in verse 2 of chapter 6. Another dam builder. What's he say? He says this in chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens... And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens. Failure to do that, failure to have that work that you're doing serving other people will cut off the flow of the Spirit from your life. Now, this command, this command right here directly fulfills the law of Christ. And where's the law of Christ? Back, go back to, just across the page, Galatians 5, 13, 14. He says this, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus ever say something quite like that? Didn't he say that? I think he did. I think he did. The whole law of Christ, he said, it's in two things. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As Christians, we are to carry each other's burdens. That means we're supposed to be involved relationally, we're supposed to have concerns, prayer concerns, physical things we can do to help each other out. Those are things that we do. When we do that, the Spirit gets to flow through us, and we don't stop the flow of the Spirit. We don't cut it off. The Christians aren't supposed to be isolated islands. We're never to be that. 
All through the scriptures, Paul, there's constant commands of what we're supposed to do in church, how we're supposed to love each other, help each other, edify one another, rebuke one another. None of that can be done if we're not involved in relationships in which we're trying to carry each other's burdens. Now, this is definitely in conflict with what we see in our culture today. That is never taught in our culture. We're taught to be, I love the army slogan. Remember that slogan? An army of one. Boy, is that not American? We're an army of one. We don't really need anybody else. We can do it ourselves, and we care about ourselves first. And we, when we do that, when we live that, when we buy into that from our culture, we cut off the flow of the Spirit. And Paul warns against that. Go down to Galatians 6 5. He's going to give us a third damn builder that we build in our lives. It's real simple, but it says this. Starting in four, we'll back up to four. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Each one should carry his own load. Failure to carry your own load, your own responsibility, what God has for you to do, stops the flow of the Spirit in your life. God has worked for everybody. Did you know this? God's plan was, always is, and always will be, that his unemployment rate is 0%. There's 0% unemployment with God. Everybody has something to do. Now, we don't do those things to earn our grace. We're not doing things to get to more Christ-like. I'm going to make myself be like Christ. It's impossible. But we have a work to do that God tells us all through the Scriptures. Failure to do the things that we're supposed to do cuts off the flow of the Spirit in our lives. It's like we put a dam on top of it if we're not doing what God instructed us to do. And that's going to look a little bit different for every person. Did you notice, have you ever looked in the Bible how God works with his servants all through the word? There, it is amazing if you sit there, and I did that this weekend, if you sit there and look at how God worked in each person's life, you'll find the contrast is amazing. I mean, just real quick examples. He, he yelled at Job. He whispers to Elijah, He stops Jonah from killing himself. He helps Samson commit suicide. He gives David a harp and lets him write songs. He gives Paul a pen and makes him write letters. He's blistering with the Pharisees. He's kind with the woman at the well. There is almost no story the same in the Bible as he deals with his people. And you know what? He still does that today. The work that we have to do is uniquely different for each person. Not everybody, not everybody's meant to stand up here today, and I'm probably not even meant to be up here today, but not everybody's going to be a speaker up front. It just doesn't happen. Not everybody is going to be cut out to go and do the work that Jim Douglas does over in Africa, and I can tell you right now, Jim doesn't want all of you to come. <laughs> there is some people, he'd be the first one to tell you, there's some people that that's really not where they ought to be. It's just not, you know, there's some things that get ugly and, you know, and there's certain work, but the work that you have to do is your load, your responsibility. God has one for every single person. And it's going to be uniquely different, but there's something to do. There's no unemployment through God. And when we fail to do that, it cuts off the Spirit in our lives. And it fits in with what Paul said in Romans 14:12. He says this, So then each of us will give an account of who? Of himself to God. We don't give an account for what somebody else does. It's just our own load that we were supposed to carry. How did we handle that? And I think we're going to be amazed. Man, I, I don't think it. I know. I know we're going to be amazed in heaven when we see that some people that were, looked like they were not that involved or they were single moms or and they, couldn't, you know, they could only do so much, but they did 100% of what God wanted them to do. That's going to be exciting to see what God does. I don't think we ever get to see everything that happens with each other, but it's going to be neat to see that God rewards people that were so faithful we didn't even notice it but they were doing 100% of what God has. That should encourage you as a Christian. God has a work for you to do, and he has a plan for you to carry it out, and you'll get rewarded for it. It's great. It, you know, and it's really, it's the fact that we're created in God's image. God has responsibilities. That's the way he is. He does his work. We mirror that. We're supposed to be doing our work. We're not supposed to live just in our own worlds, just for our own pleasure. Not what he had in mind. And now Paul's going to lead this in as this discussion starts. I really do not like this big number six that's stuck in the middle here. And I know that they split up the Bible. This was really a letter. We all know it was really a letter, but they stuck verses and numbers. But 
when you see a big six there, it makes you think that all of a sudden, okay, now we have a new thought. This thought is not new. This, this continues, flows right on through chapter five and six, and it's going to come to a crescendo. If this was music, this would be a crescendo right here at verse seven in chapter six. And here's why. Paul says all of this to say this, hey, here's why this is so important. Here's why this walking with the Spirit is important. If you don't hear anything else today, you need to pay attention to this right here. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, or the flesh, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Paul's now letting us in on a universal secret. This is a universal law that God has in place. Our, matter of fact, our future destiny and circumstances are being determined by what we do today. The thing that we get is we don't think that because we don't see immediate results. And this law doesn't work that way. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but God cannot be mocked. That means he can't be mocked or fooled. He keeps perfect records. He reads motives correctly. Oftentimes we don't do that. I know you women, are, I mean, I'm not picking on women this morning. But here we go. <laughs> you guys, my, my beautiful wife, do, I, they'll think, I'll do something, I'll, you know, I'm watching TV and I zone out and she says something, I, yeah, yeah, whatever, okay? She can read into that that I know why he did that because, and then she weaves this tapestry of, of why I did what I did or some action. I, and then when she finally tells you, you finally, you know, what's wrong, baby? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And you finally they crack and they tell you. It's like, I don't even know how you came to that. Because you can misread somebody's motives so badly that you're totally way out in left field. And we all do that. Somebody, you're at the mall, okay, you might see me at the mall, and let's say you say hi to me, and I just go, hey, you know, and I just walk by, I don't say anything. You can say, well, what's his problem? He must be, he, and then you start thinking of these motives, right? God does never do that. God never, ever has misread a motive ever, not once. So he can't be mocked or fooled into thinking that, you know, you can fool me. You're looking pretty good on the outside. You all look pretty good here this morning. But you can't fool God. You, he doesn't misread motives. He knows your heart. You can't pull a fast one on him like you might have done with your mom, your dad, or your teacher. I had one in high school. We got these report cards. Barely remember this, but they were, they had like, you know, we had numbers. We had these stupid, dumb English mini courses, what I remember, like Shakespearean comedy. Let me tell you, there's nothing funny about Shakespeare. Not one. I took that class because I thought this was going to be funny. Shakespearean comedy. Okay, that's that's be cool. That's that ain't even what that is. That's that's not even well, Midsummer Night's Dream. That's funny. Anyway, these grades on there, the report card would come out and it would be like purple ink. Okay, and I was like an amateur art student, so I had a great set of colored pencils. And what I would do is I would I'd take a you take a eraser, get a little bit wet, and you just erase just a tiny little bit there, not too much. You want to tear the paper, and then you take your purple pencil and then you make that 68. It's an 88. And I would practice that. I would practice on white paper. And that's and that looks pretty much like their eight. And then I would I would get it up there and and I said that's pretty good. I got an 88 Shakespearean tragedy, right? And then I would hand it to my mom and dad, and they'd say, hey, he's doing good. Look at that, 88. That's pretty good. And I would mock my mom and dad. I would fool them. But, you know, the funny thing is I still flunked the class. <laughs> I, I didn't fool anybody. I got away with it for a while, but it still failed. And, you know, I'm actually kind of proud I flunked that class because I wouldn't want to know about that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, God doesn't work that way. You cannot mock God. I guarantee you this universal law that a man always reaps what he sows. Always. It always happens. It's a universal law. I brought along a universal law. It's in our universe. And hopefully we'll have it on the screen here in a minute. There it is. Every object persists in its state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless it is compelled to change that course, that state, by forces impressed on it. Anybody know what that law is? First law of? That is correct. Created by Sir Isaac Newton. Right. That's the first law. Now that law right there, that's a universal law that can be leveraged for our good 
or it can work against us. Most of you guys probably all drove a car in here this morning. You used that law this morning. As you went in a straight line, your car kept rolling along because of that law right there. That was, now, that's something that God put in this universe. Now, that law is not prejudice. It didn't care what color your skin was this morning. You came to work or to church. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care how much money you make. It's not even worried about fairness. It just is. It's just a law of the universe that God put in place. I work for a company that does construction. Right now, I'm, I'm in the office now, and I, I, it's a great job because I, I pretend to build highways. They pay me to pretend to build highways, and I come up with prices, and that's what I get paid for. Not a bad deal. When I first started, I started on the crew, and actually the first day, a lot of people say I started in the ditch. I actually started in the ditch. My first day, we put in storm pipes in, and I started in the ditch. That's how I started in the company, and God worked a series of events, and God worked it up through there. But I am so glad that I got to start in that position because I learned a lot about the company, starting from the bottom, working my way up. One of the things I had to do was, when I first started in those days, was uh, occasionally I had to drive a dump truck. I'm not a truck driver. I was probably one of the worst dump truck drivers in the history of, of Hemp Brothers. Hated it. You, you get these old, Jim know what I'm talking about, you get these old operators in there and they, they run, you know, like a track hoe, and if they expect you to back that truck up perfectly, this is where I want the truck, right here. That's, you know, they give you a tiny little, and if you didn't get that truck in there, they would reach over there and pull that truck over. You, you want to ride, even in front of a dump truck, when somebody pulls in and slides that dump truck over, you go flying through the windshield. I hate it. Now, one day, I got in the dump truck to go to, and I, I did all the things that you're supposed to do. I checked the oil and, you know, filled up with gas. Everything was cool. And I'm heading up the road, and everything was operating normally. Great. It was a great trip right up to the red light. Come in the first red light. The first red light, the light was red. The traffic the other way was going, and there was three cars. I remember that distinctly, believe me. There was three cars stopped at the red light. And I was, you know, wasn't speeding or anything, but I'm tooling along in a big dump truck. I went to hit the brakes. There was no brakes. Absolutely zero brakes. Now, at that moment, I did not like this law. <laughs> up until that time, this law was working for me. Now this law was working against me. I didn't think it was even very fair that that law existed at that moment. It wasn't really fair, because I didn't really do anything to be in this position. But there I was. This law doesn't change because I think it's unfair, or it didn't work out. I mean, it's not the way I planned on it. I didn't plan on it that morning. Now, luckily, not luckily, but thanks to the Lord, I didn't hit anybody that morning. I'll just tell you, you're all going to wonder how it ended. I just swerved to the left. I announced to the passenger with me, it appears that we don't have any brakes. I, uh, I thought I would calmly let him know that so he could brace for the impact that was certain to happen. And uh, got to the, the only thing I knew to do was try to downshift, and I got to the intersection. I jammed it in first gear and turned to the right, and I slid, and I slid around everybody, and I kept on going. I made a 90-degree turn, and I didn't hit anybody. It was the Lord's mercy, and I, I got down the road and pulled off to the side, and I just shook for a while, and I just about killed about 50 people. But uh, it all worked out thanks to the Lord. This law of sowing and reaping is just like any other universal law. It's not based on fairness. It doesn't discriminate. It just is. But God loved us enough to tell us about it in advance. Now, everybody who's over 40 years old already knows that this law is true. Because you've seen it in your finances or somebody else's finances or in their relationship life or in your physical life, did you notice you don't just get into shape or out of shape real quick like? It's like sowing and reaping, you know? It's like you, you start this course and you don't really pay much attention to it and you move a little bit farther to the right and the next thing you know you're way over here and you're wondering how you got from over here. It's because of this law of sowing and reaping. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. Whatever we're sowing to spiritually is affecting the destiny that we're going to have down the road. And we're, we're deciding that right now, all of us by the way we're living. And we can leverage this law to our good or it can work against us. Either way. It's just the fact of God. It's the fact of the law of the universe. It doesn't really matter. But everybody over 40 has already seen this. Matter of fact, we wish we would have been told about it sometimes 20 years ago. Because I know it's easy to get in trouble in certain areas of life. Credit cards are a great way. Credit cards, now they're so innocent. I mean, you start off when I was in high school, they gave them to everybody. Hey, you have a credit card. 
everybody would have a credit card, and you would go out, and there would be a stereo, and it would be like, they always have that, like, $9.99 a month. And you're like, I can afford that, $9.99 a month, right? So you get that, and you buy something else, and that's only $5.99 a month. So you get that, and then you pay for it later, no problem. And then things start happening out of your control, like you need your car breaks down, and you don't have any cash, or the refrigerator dies, and then next thing you know, your kids come along, and they're constantly costing you money. And if you're not careful, then you can get down the road, and you're wondering, how did I get so out of in this position with credit cards? And it's because of this law. We, we kind of sowed for it. We kind of planted for it. This is what we did, and this is what happens. And we see that. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. But you know, there's two types of sowing. There are only two. There are only two. We're either sowing to the flesh, the natural man, or to the spirit. As Christians, that's it. There's two. There's no, there's no plan C or a third option, or I'll take what's behind door number three. There's none of that. We're either sowing to the one, or we're sowing to the other all the time. Now, this... I want you to look down here at uh, 6, 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. That word destruction is also the word that's used for corruption or decay. And what the picture there is, a Christian, is we, if we live by the flesh or by the sinful nature as a Christian, we begin to decay inside. Our spiritual life actually decays. It, it dies. It starts to die as we dam it up with our junk that we stick in there. Couple, another observation in 6.9. It says this. This is the encouraging part, 6.9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, it's easy to become so discouraged when we don't see immediate results. You know, it's a, I mean, I, I do a lot of work on the side. You know, I like to fix work, you know, woodwork and that kind of thing, build stuff on the blue-collar type of guy, stuck in a white-collar job. And I noticed this. When I have a hammer and a nail, and when I hit my finger, which once in a while I do that, that's immediate. That's Im- I immediately know I never want to do that again. Ow, never again. This, physics, this law right here, does, this, the sowing and reaping, does not work that way. This is not immediate results. It would be easy if it was, you know, if you went back there and you volunteered this morning to do Sunday school and on the way home God blessed you with $1,000, it would be easy to see that, hey I, should, hey, I should be doing this more. But this law doesn't work that way. It takes time. Our job as Christians is to plod along, making sure that we're sowing to the Spirit, letting Him work through us, and in time, this will all work itself out. And you can even see that in your finances too. Some of you guys I know went through some financial classes and you decided you were going to make some changes in the way you did things. And you might have started a couple of years ago. You might have started 10 years ago. And as you change your financial approach, you're just now starting to see to reap the benefits of that because it takes time, sowing and reaping. Same thing happens in our spiritual lives. We start on the right course now. In time, God will reward us at the right time. Which leads me to back to where we started here with this. And this is probably, I don't want to be misunderstood on this one here. I also don't want to knock this board over because it's ready to go any second. If we try to get to this Christ-likeness on our own strength, that's what I'm talking about. Now, what I'm going to talk about right now is when we try to do this on our own strength. I'm not talking about doing good things. We're supposed to do good things. But when we try to get to that next level on our own, so many Christians, and I've been in churches, I was raised in a Christian home, family, dad leaned toward the legalistic side because that's, that's all he knew at the time and did the best he could. He was a great dad, but that's how he leaned. And even me, the whole church might have even leaned that way. But I've been around churches my whole life. I've been involved in ministries, Sunday school. I actually was in choir for a while. I've been on deacon boards. I've seen the worst of that. I've seen the best of it. And what so many Christians end up getting, and I, I've watched this countless times, they walk around feeling guilty. Now, I'm not talking about guilty when we sin. Obviously, that's a healthy guilt that God gives us. We do do wrong, we sin, we feel guilty. I'm talking about that somehow we don't feel spiritual enough. That somehow I've got to ramp it up to be me squared. So what happens is what Christians will tend to do will try harder. I gotta, I gotta bring my A game. I gotta ramp it up. I gotta, you know, we hear about somebody who does something in their devotion life, and I'm gonna do that too. 
We hear about somebody that gets up at four in the morning to start praying, and I think I should get up at four in the morning, even though I'm not a morning person. I hear about somebody that's doing, reading this book, I think I should read that book. I'm going to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make myself more Christ-like. So we try harder. Now, where does that usually lead? I know in my life it leads right here. You get tired. Doing stuff on your own strength, trying to, trying to keep up this spiritual, I'm going to be, and we look at this like, like somehow our spiritual life is like one little circle of who we are, like we have our physical life and, our, and we have our spiritual, and I'm going to get spiritually in shape. It, it doesn't even look like that. But we end up getting tired out when we do things on our own strength. And when we get tired out, what do we do? We quit. I can't tell you how many half-read books I have. I, I get people tell me, you should, this book, now somebody will say, this book, pastors are great at this, and not, I'm not picking on any pastor in particular, but I've even heard it this week on TV, and I'll even tell you about that later. But they say, this book spoke to me, you need to read this book. So I get through this book, and I get halfway, th- I'm not a big reader anyway. I love reading the Bible, but I'm not a big book reader, and if I read, it's to gain information, and it better be a book that I'm interested in. And I get to halfway through this book, and I'm like, how can any human being read this book? And I quit, because it's not, it's not producing life in me. It's not producing joy in life, what God intended. And when we quit, we start to feel guilty. And when that builds up enough, then we'll try harder. Then we'll get tired. And we'll... Anybody ever go through a cycle, something like that, maybe, in your life? I've done that so many times in my life, I wasted years doing that. The secret is not a system of failed attempts on a treadmill of frustration. You know, Jesus, he spoke and taught and lived with a group of people that were stuck in a system very much like that. The Pharisees had created this system where they, uh, they kind of controlled this here. They, they said, this is what it's like to be spiritual and be Christ-like. Not Christ-like, but to be godly. This is what it looks like, and you guys have to do this. So the people would try it, and they would try harder, and they would get tired because it was hard to keep all those rules, and then they would quit, and then they would feel guilty. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 7. This, is, this story is like in John chapter 7, or why I can't get enough of Jesus' teaching. In John chapter 7, we're going to head into verse 37. This is at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a great celebration that the Jewish people had. And what they would do is they would have this series of feasts, and they were celebrating their remembrance of the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness, and they had to travel around with their tabernacle. They still do that today. They build these little structures, little booths, we would call them. They make like little miniature tabernacles, and they, they sit in there, and it's like a big, giant festival. And Jesus was at this, and this was a great celebration that they had. And in our story here, I want you, he's at the last day of the festival, this great feast, Feast of the Tabernacles. And you've got to love the picture. Always think about the settings of these stories with Jesus because it's amazing. Here he is. He's not in charge of the feast, okay? He's not in charge. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a leader. He's not sitting at the head table. He's not even asked to speak. He's just there. And look what he says here. On the last and greatest day of the feast, John 7, 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, just stood up, just uninvited, just gets up. He says in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And John says, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus says, he jumps up and says, hey, if you're caught in this cycle where you're, you're thirsty, spiritually you feel like you're dissatisfied, can't quite get to where you want to go, come to me. What does he say? Streams of living water will flow from within. And by this he means the Spirit. Did you notice he doesn't say a tiny trickle of Almost visible water will come from within inside of you, maybe. 
No, he says, streams of living water will flow from within. He was speaking to people who were stuck in this pattern right here. They were stuck in that. And he stands up and offers them this truth. That streams of living water are available to tap into to come through him. Now, anytime you speak in a group like this, you have, a, you have to watch. Because you have two extremes. You have people, some people are not doing hardly anything. That they're saved and they're doing a little bit of good works, maybe kind of, they're just kind of in their own world. And then you have the people that are going off the deep end trying to ramp it up to the next level. So we have both probably going on in this church. And I noticed that as a church, we're, we're reading through the Bible. And reading through the Bible is a great, great thing. It is. Roger mentioned this morning. I, I recommend, actually, no doubt in my mind that reading your Bible is the most important thing that you will do. It's more important in prayer because... Our prayer is so much, our God, please help me today get through this meeting because I don't know how I'm going to get through and help me not to get angry and help me, help me, help me, help me. That's what a lot of our prayer life is. Reading God's word is all about him. And it's our chance to let him speak to us. And as a church, I know we, we, we offer to read through the Bible and a lot of us are doing that. But we have to be careful when we do that why we're doing that. Because it's really easy if you started off in that project that somehow you were going to read the Bible just to Somehow, get yourself to the next level of Christ-likeness that people do that, though. People do that through their, and they can get worn out. You can get stuck mired in your Bible. I have read the Bible through a couple of times. It's a great thing to do. But what you'll find is there's parts of the Bible that speak to you more than other parts. And what that is is when the Holy Spirit is prodding you at that part of Scripture that speaks to you. I don't spend a lot of time in certain chapters of Numbers. Because it doesn't speak. As you guys that are reading through the Bible, it's really easy to get tired when you get to certain parts of the Bible because it's really not speaking to you, which means the Spirit is not speaking through you. So it's great to read through that to find those places that really speak to you. I have parts that I love going to and parts that I don't, but it's the most important thing you do. I don't want people to quit reading their Bibles and then feel guilty because you quit and then go through. But that is the most important thing that you can do is read your Bible. No doubt in my mind. And God will speak to you through that. But what I want to say is, as we think about all this, we have to realize we don't measure up to God's standard. And here's the beauty part of it. Once you accept Christ as Savior, God, Jesus promises there's his Holy Spirit inside of us. and it's, He's ready to tap into all the time. He wants to flow up through us. If you accepted Christ as Savior, you have the Spirit living inside you. All you have to do is to not do the things that dam up the spirit and stop the flow that's trying to happen inside of you. That's the beautiful part of it. It's his work through you as you allow him to work in your life and to come through you. What a great gift that is that God would do that. Can you imagine how hard it would be to live for Christ if we had to do it totally on our own and God didn't give us the spirit and we had to try to, like the Jews tried to do without the spirit and they were trying to work so hard and that would be such frustration. We don't want to live in that world. That is not the freedom. Jesus said, I came that you may have the, know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. This, when we get stuck in traps like this, that is not freedom. We want to live in the freedom of Christ, letting the Spirit work through us. Make sure we're not doing the things to stop the Spirit. Just a quick recap. I actually, you know, you guys, the one thing that everybody said to me when I came, they said I was going to speak, the people that talked to me said, I hear, I hear you're really short. So that's the number one thing. I'm like, there's some carnal people right there, man. They went, they're worried about getting out of here early. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I tried to do all these notes to try to make it long, and it just didn't work out. I mean, it's, I'm looking up there, and it's 11 o'clock, and we're almost done here. But just a quick recap. First, the first step to, is to realize that we don't measure up. That first gap we show between God and me, that's the number one thing we have to come to in our lives. Realizing that God has this, there's this great big void that's in between me and God. Most of us probably have done that, but some of us might not have. Come to the point where we realize that we, we don't measure up. We need God's grace through Christ to fill that void, to make that gap. Once I come to Christ, there's two natures that live inside of me, and they're warring against each other constantly. Constant struggle that's common to all. We're either sowing to one or we're sowing to the other. There's no third option. You're either producing things of the sinful nature or you're producing the things of the Spirit. One or the other. There's no in-between. We need to make sure that we're doing the things 
and not doing the things that stop the Spirit. We want the Spirit to flow through us. His work is alive, it's well. And if we're saved and the Spirit isn't visible in us, then I can guarantee you that somewhere you have damned it up. You have cluttered it up with stuff from this world or you have stopped doing the things you're supposed to do because I know he doesn't fail. When I, I, I go through cycles in my life and I know when that spirit is not flowing through me, I messed up. Somehow I cut it off. I stopped the flow. I built a dam and stopped that living water that Jesus speaks about in John chapter 7. Well, I hope you're encouraged this morning because, by the fact that it's not what we do, it's what he does through us. God promises to work through all believers to bring about the work. Because you know what? When it comes down to it, you are not your project. He is. He's making you the project. You're his project, what I should have said. And he's going to bring about the way he wants it for his ending, his conclusion. And he'll carry us all the way through. Do you know what? One thing I always think of when I goof up and I mess up all the time, that God has never one time and not ever been disappointed in me. How can you say that? Well, because disappointment means that he, it didn't have an ending that he thought would happen. And it's amazing to me as a believer that when he, he knew I was going to goof up so badly, and yet he saved me and carried me through and keeps me going the right direction. And I goof up all the time, believe me. I don't have any of this mastered. That Jesus constantly, constantly, constantly lets us come back to him and lets the Spirit flow through us if we're in tune with him. What an awesome God. Well, dams may be useful on streams, certain things. They are. They're fun to build when you're a kid. I used to love doing that. But in our spiritual lives, mm, not so good. Not so good. They can bring disastrous results. Let's have a word of prayer before we go home today.